Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So for this episode, we're going to be covering a couple listener questions. I haven't done one of these in a while, and I do plan at some point to open it up. I used to do a lot of these early on because sometimes when you're coming up with podcast topics, the best place to get them is to reach out and say, hey, what do you guys want to hear about? And I've gotten some great topics from people who have you know, participated via Facebook or whatever where I'd put the question out, hey, what would you like me to cover? And we get a lot of responses back. So I keep meaning to do that. And Quite honestly, the only reason I haven't done so is I'm never on Facebook. I just don't have the time for it. So you have to get on there one of these days, sign on, and put one of these up so we can get some stuff. Because the summer's coming up. I usually like to do a couple of the podcasts in a day. It's a lot easier in the summertime when I have much more time. So we want to make sure that I'm able to do that. But we had a couple really good questions. Now, the first one, I'm going to be honest, this this has been posed to me a few times, and I've never gotten around to covering it. But I have, I think, a, a rather interesting, fascinating, I'm fascinated, let's put it that way, Billy seemed to be fascinated by its story of something that recently occurred to me that I think helps ex- helps me to explain and, and give my take on this question. So I've been asked many times before, how do you know when a tarantula is dead? I'm going to go out, actually, let's put this out here today. I think there's going to be a lot of death discussed because I've just realized the second question I have kind of involves death. So I'm apologizing ahead of time, but it's I think they're pertinent topics and ones we need to cover. So how do you know when a tarantula is dead? And that can be very, very tricky. I've had, I think we've all had situations where we think something's dead and we freak out, find out that it's just in heavy pre-molt or it's just molted, whatever the case. But there are some times where we have a spider and we think that it is probably past, but we're afraid to do anything with the animal until we're absolutely sure. And there's no real surefire way to figure it out. So I have a story that I'm going to share today that shows that something that I've been doing for many, 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 many years that could be perceived as kind of gross, but it's one of the ways I tell if they're actually dead or not. And it comes into play here. So let's start at the beginning. Several months ago, I picked up Islamopias langabusheri from Tom Patterson. This is a species that I've been trying to find for quite some time. As a matter of fact, I thought I had one. I ordered one right before I did my Islamopias genus review video on YouTube. I was so excited that I was going to be able to show off all the Islamopias species. And I forget what happened, but the, the sale fell through. Either the spider died in a molt or they had under, already sold it. I forget what it was, but it was disappointing. So then I saw that Tom Patterson had some. I was super excited. We picked some up with a bunch of other spiders. and But that was the one, you know, a lot of times when you shop, you find one spider that's like, all right, I need this spider. Now let me buy a bunch of other stuff to go with it. And that was the spider. That was the key spider of that order. So we picked it up, little teeny little guy. And when I got the spiders in, I had something set up for it. But I ended up having to use that one for something else because it looked a little bit large for the spider. I've heard these guys are a little smaller in terms of size as far as Salma PS goes. They're a little more slow growing so I decided this one would be better in something different so I ended up using an enclosure that I've never used before somebody sent it to me a listener or a subscriber sent it to me a while back and it'd been kind of sitting in my garage I'm like this looks nice it was like a two by two by five inch clear display case kind of like an AMAC box but the lid to it is a little more shallow than the AMAC box like a quarter inch lid or so so I set the thing up as I normally would any Salmapia species I know that they like to do a little bit of burning they like to hide so I put in 
basically an inch and a half moist substrate. I had a little small cork bark round half that I put in there with some space behind it. And I shoved some green moss in that space and some green moss around the other areas. Then I put a little fake leaf in there to give it some, you know, a little foliage to hide behind and put the spider in. And the spider immediately did what I thought it was going to do. It went behind the cork bark. It kind of webbed up around inside that moss down into the substrate a little bit, made a nice little burrow. It was a little hard to see it, but when I'd come in at night with a flashlight and I'd usually find it sitting right on the top of its burrow waiting to eat. So it looked healthy. I was feeding it small. When I first started off, I was feeding it pinhead red racers, the uh, B. lateralis roaches. It was eating fine. It molted once. Then I fed it slightly larger roaches. roaches. It molted again. Then it disappeared for a bit. I assumed it was in pre-molt. So let's fast forward to about two weeks ago or so. I was doing my walking. I love walking around the tarantula room during feeding times with a flashlight to see who's out, who molted. And I spun the enclosure around and something didn't look right. I could tell that it had molted. The molt was already kicked out kind of toward the top of the moss. And I could see the spider, but the spider did not look good at all. And now it looked like a lot of times when they molt, they don't look good right after a molt. I know that. And most folks are aware of that. They're, you know, usually stretching into their new skin. They're very, very weak. They can look pale. The color looked good. It looked like it had already, you know, hardened up a bit. And what usually happens with those species is they molt, they stay in their den, and then finally they kick the molt out and then they're ready to eat. So my first thought when I flipped it around was, oh, it's visible, it's ready to eat, but it was kind of scrunched up and almost a death, kind of like a death curl. One of those ones you look at and just go, I don't know, that doesn't look too good. The thing that threw me off is that it was out. It wasn't, it was no longer in the burrow where it would be normally until it hardened up. It was out in the open and it didn't look well. So I took my little bottle that has a little nozzle on it that I use with the sling enclosures, the moisten the substrate, and I just squirted a little bit of water around the moss that it was in just in case. My fear was that that moss had dried out, it had molted in its den, and it wasn't able to get enough moisture afterwards and then it might have been dehydrated. So I softened, you know, moistened that moss up a little bit. The thing didn't budge at all. And now I'm worried because it's not looking good. It did look like, you know, again, when they go into that death curl, a lot of times it's because of dehydration. They're not able to extend their limbs. Their limbs, as we mentioned, I think last podcast, are like hydraulics. And when there's not enough fluid in there, they can't fully extend them. So my worry was somehow, although the substrate was damp, that it wasn't able to get enough moisture after it molted and that it needed to get moisture quickly. So I ended up taking the spider out. And basically what I did is I had a little terrestrial enclosure. It's one of those little like four by four inch, maybe an inch and a half tall ones. And I lined the bottom with a little bit of paper towel, moisten the paper towel. Now, let me make this clear. I always got to kind of <laughs> defend myself when I do this because I'm not a fan of the tarantula ICU. I don't think it's the miracle box that we all like to pretend it is. But there are cases where the spider, if it's dehydrated, if you put it on some moist paper towels, and I'd seen this before my Myself, the spider, even if it's weak, is able to drink and siphon moisture out of the moist paper towel. So that was my thought process. It was a little sling, probably about an inch, maybe an inch and a quarter around there. And that maybe if that was the case, it needed moisture. If I was able to carefully put it on these moist paper towels, it would be able to drink. It would come back to life. Everything would be fine. So I pulled, basically was being very, very careful with it because I didn't want to disturb it. I pulled all the moss out from behind that piece of cork bark. It all came out. The spider came out. Its molt came out and I put it down onto the moist paper towel and then I tried to get the spider down on the moist paper towel so that it could possibly get a drink and for a moment it looked like it might have been drinking it's one of those ones a lot of times you see them flatten themselves out it looked like it might have been drinking but I left it alone put it in a kind of a dark place 
came back a few hours later and the spider had moved slightly. It was kind of tangled in with the moss. Its limbs were all curled up. It didn't look good at all. So I was really disappointed. I came down and told Billy, I'm like, I can't believe this. It looks like we're going to lose the Langaboucheri. Not sure what the heck went wrong. Again, the inside of the enclosure wasn't dry. It was just, I was worried there wasn't enough moisture in that moss. Next day, I come down to go to check it. I'm hoping maybe it just sprang back to life. Or There was even a point where I was worried that perhaps that was an old molt and it hadn't just molted and maybe I had just disturbed it during a molt, in which case I would have been the biggest dingus on the planet because that's terribly dangerous for a spider. But come to check on it, go in there with my flashlight, shine it in. And it's in a full death crawl. It's like kind of got a leg tangled up in the moss. Its legs are fully curled in. I popped the top of the thing and I kind of gently brushed the legs and they kind of just curled right back into themselves. And I'm like, this isn't good. So the paper towel dried up a little bit. I had moistened down the moss a little bit again, moistened down the paper towel a little bit. I flipped it over at one point, even dripped a little drop, drop a little water on its mouth parts just in case it wasn't able to siphon the water out of the paper towels or the moss and left it alone again. I come back the next day. It's in the exact same position. Hasn't moved. Legs curled up. Not looking good at all. I basically opened the top of it, took the paintbrush, kind of brushed its legs. They weren't really moving. I kind of put it on the paper towel again. Once again, left it alone. Day three, come back. Hasn't budged. Thing's dead. I mean, it's. I actually took the box at one point and just gently shook it, and it just kind of flipped over like a you know a piece of driftwood or something. It wasn't moving. It wasn't twitching. I've seen unfortunately dead spiders and dead slings in my time, and again, they're all. It's always difficult to know for sure. But considering this had been, I believe it, at this point, it probably been going on four days since this thing was looking bad. I, I think I caught it after it had started to climb out. And didn't look good. It, the spider, as far as I was concerned, had passed away. However, now this is where we come to our original question, and folks probably have an idea where this is going. I have a thing where if I think a spider is dead, even if I'm 99.9% sure that it's dead, I will take the enclosure, I will take it off of the shelf, and I will set it somewhere for a while. Where We're talking usually a week or two. And usually what I look for is usually in these when this has ever happened, it doesn't luckily doesn't happen a lot. I will have it on either moist substrate, moist paper towels, whatever it may be. It's usually in something moist. And this is the gross part. What I usually wait for is for the actual tarantula to start to mold. Usually they'll get this white fluffy mold on them. Once they've got mold on them, and sometimes you sm- with larger specimens, and I again, I told you this was going to be a gross one, with larger specimens, you will smell it. Like I've had some older ones pass away, older males, older females. You will definitely smell it if it's been a couple days, gross as it sounds. At that point, if you open up, it smells like a rotting animal. Your animal's dead. But the with the slings, I find that can be trickier. Slings and juveniles, because I've had ones that have pulled through that look like they're dead. And the way that I tell is if you start seeing that white fuzzy mold, it's over. It's time. You can go ahead and bury the thing. It is dead. So I have this habit, done it for years, where if I think a sling is dead, I will take the enclosure. I put it someplace that I won't forget about it usually, so that it's in my eye and I keep checking on it. And as soon as I see that mold, it's time to clean out the enclosure. I do have this thing where if something dies in an enclosure and it's a mysterious death, I don't like to use the enclosure again. I, it's just... A lot of times it doesn't make any sense per se, but in my mind, that enclosure's tainted. That could be part of the problem. Who knows? So I just take it out of circulation and put it in the recycle bin. So I took this one and I originally had it on, and this is where it gets interesting. I originally had it on my table. If you've seen my videos, I have that big metal 
food serving table that I do all my rehousings on. I had it there so I could keep an eye on it. And we did a bunch of rehousings last week. It was sitting there. I had to keep moving it out of the way. And quite frankly, I didn't want it in the way of the videos. And this was probably five days after it had moved at all. And so while we were setting up for the videos, I'm like, all right, enough is enough. It's not molding, but I'm going to stick it over. I have a stack of enclosures when I do rehousings that are right before I go down the stairs that I have to take outside, dump the dirt out, clean them up, get them ready to use again. And I set it on top of that. And Billy and I shot the videos and everything was fine. And fast forward to, I believe it was Thursday, or Wednesday evening, Wednesday evening, up in the tarantula room. And I'm walking around, checking things out, feeding a couple things. You know, it's right before bedtime. And usually I go up before bedtime and every once in a while I'll be like, oh, I should probably feed this one. Or, oh, this one's water dish is looking dry. And I do just a little maintenance right before bed just so I can sleep well knowing that I've taken care of my animals. I don't know what happened, but I was sitting there with the flashlight and I walked over to where that stack of enclosures is. And this, obviously, I'd set the Langham Boucheri right on top of it. And I just happened to glance down and I, you know, when your mind doesn't register something right away, I walked away from it. And all of a sudden in my mind's eye, I'm like, was there a big spider in one of those? And I'm like, what the heck? It didn't even click. It was the Langabusheri's enclosure. It just was, I walk away and I'm like, wait a minute. I think I just saw a spider. So I go back with a flashlight. I shine it into the Langabusheri's enclosure. And lo and behold, the spider is no longer in that upside. I mean, this thing was in a death curl. It was like when I left, it was half in the moss, half on its back. It hadn't moved. We're talking days this thing hadn't moved. And I look into the enclosure and there's a rather, probably about inch and a quarter spider stretched out. Now, it doesn't look like it's moving. And my first thought was, oh God, how long has this been here? Because we're talking about it's been... I, I want to say a full two weeks, at least two weeks since I originally took it out of its enclosure and put it into this other enclosure. And then we're talking a good four or five days of zero movement, nothing going on, spider just flipping around lifelessly. And there it is all stretched out. So my first thought was, oh gosh, it was obviously not dead. How long has it been in here like this? The thing had dried out. You know, there was, I added moisture to that in a while. I was honestly just expecting it to mold and I would have buried the spider. I just lost track of time. And so I picked the container up and I carefully pulled the top off and I kind of just blow a little bit. The spider doesn't move. And I'm like heartbroken. I'm like, this means the thing wasn't dead. It somehow sprung back to life and now it's dead because I'm a terrible owner and didn't check on it. So I blow on it again. Thing does lap right around the thing. Shoots around the whole enclosure. Startles me. I'm like completely reminded me back of the day of Lazarus when we thought she was dead and suddenly she came to life. So I immediately bring it over to my table. I take a little of that water. I spray it down on the moss. I spray it down on the paper towel. I immediately watch the spider climb down onto the paper towel, flatten itself out, and start drinking from it. Mind blown. And the again, as I point out, and this is the thing, I did take a picture of it, which was good because when it was in the thing, I took a picture of it when I first pulled it out. And the molt is there clear as day. When I pulled it out, the molt's there. It did not molt again because my first thought was, oh my God, I pulled it out and it was in heavy pre-molt. But no, the same molt that I had saw when I pulled it out was there. There was no other molt. I've since gone through to make sure it wasn't you know, concealed by the moss or it didn't get slipped under the paper towel or something like that. There was no other molt there. It didn't just molt. So that it wasn't a case of me pulling it out during pre-molt because that happens a lot. And I've spoken to people before that, and I've done it in the past. I'll, I'll call myself on it a while ago. Done the thing where you see the sling. It doesn't look well. It's lethargic. It's it's all you know scrunched up in a corner. You take it out. You put it in the old ICU because obviously just putting on something that's moist is going to fix it. And then lo and behold, the spider molts and you realize you could have killed the spider by disturbing it during a molt. A lot of people do this. It's, it's unfortunately... 
a common mistake in the hobby. It's because we're worried about our animals. We're not sure what's going on. And then we try to help them. And in our attempts to help them, we can screw things up. That wasn't what happened here. This thing, I will tell you, this thing had molted. It, I don't know what happened afterwards. Now, my only my only thought was that somehow, although it seemed like it wasn't drinking, it wasn't taking in moisture, it, it somehow got moisture after the fact, after I stopped checking on it. And I, I honestly don't know what happened. I came down, I told Billy the story. We were so excited that this thing was alive, but so dumbfounded as to what the heck happened with it. Because when I say this spider was dead, it looked about as dead as a spider could look. It didn't move. I mean, I wish I had video of me flipping it over with the brush and it's like curled up. And you guys know what I'm talking about. That point where they're, they've been curled up, they're dead for a while. And they're just kind of like, like when you find... In the old days, a spider dead on a windowsill or something. They just kind of, they're dry. They're not moving. It seemed dry. It wasn't moving. His legs weren't extending. It seemed dead. I don't get it. So I share the story, A, because it's one of the most bizarre things I've encountered while in the hobby. I've had spiders that were in bad shape that have come back, but they were never at the point where they were completely dead or seemed completely dead. This is the first time ever ever that I can think of that something like this has happened, that the thing was, I was positive was dead, days, days of it not budging, not moving, scrunched up, death curl, done. And again, it sat there in that container for at least a week without me even checking on it, it apparently came back alive and was perfectly fine. So, for years, I have done this thing where I'm afraid the spider is not dead and I set the container aside and usually it's about a, it ends up being about a week or so and eventually they'll start molding and I know they're dead. This is the first time it actually paid off and, and I almost screwed it up because had I not checked down there, I mean, it could have been weeks before I happened to glance down and notice that spider was in there and that's the part that kills me because I, once we started setting up to record and I looked down it hadn't molded yet and that's the problem I broke my own rules but it appeared you know it was dead as far as I was concerned I was just putting it out of the way and figure I'd check on it a few days be mold and we'd be done if I hadn't checked on it that spider would have died I never would have known so when people ask me how do you know a spider's dead it can be incredibly tricky and just when you think you know what's going on and how to check and you think you can recognize a dead spider something like this happens now uh, the good news is she has or he or she I'm hoping it's a she because I really want to keep the spider now I mean this is one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed we've already used the name Lazarus so we'll have to come up with something else for her but she's definitely earned a name with this one or he she ate twice since then, lively, I dropped a little roach in, grabbed it, ate it up, came back a few days later, a couple days later, dropped another one in, she ate, so it looks like she's doing perfectly fine, I am going to rehouse her into something different, she's a little larger now, so I'm going to give her a larger Amec box enclosure, set it all up. I have no clue as to what happened. I, we speculated, we thought about it, we tried maybe this. Maybe it was something due to dehydration. Maybe it just took a little longer for it to finally come back around. I don't know. Just really strange though. But again, shows why you need to be careful when you think your spider's dead. I've heard other stories from folks. I, the most common Example is somebody will buy one online, they'll get the spider in, and I will get the email, Tom, I don't know what to do, I just bought these spiders, and this one arrived dead on arrival, 
And should I throw it away? Should I, you know, bury it? Should I contact all that stuff? And then many times people have emailed me back to be like, the spider's alive. It's it's okay. And I think sometimes it's becoming, because in shipping, they can get too cold. They can slow them way down. Sometimes they may get dehydrated in shipping if they're not packed correctly, if there's not enough hydration in there. And then sometimes you put them in the new enclosures, they get rehydrated. They're fine. Be careful when you think your spider is dead. Make sure you give it some time. Again, and please chime in. If somebody else has another way of checking, let me know. I just found the mold thing or the smell. You know, larger specimens, the smell is going to get you. It's it's gross, but it's a reality. They will decompose, and you will smell it. And it doesn't need. It doesn't even have to be a really large tarantula. Let's make that very clear. We're not talking about. It doesn't have to be a five six inch one. I've had you know one two inch ones. You can smell it. But that mold is also a nice visual cue that the spider is gone. I've used that one in the past. Usually it, it's with smaller slings that, you know, I've just got and I look in the enclosure, it doesn't look good. And then later on, I see the mold. I'm like, okay, that one's dead. But I've had it with other ones too that I put in the ICUs and you kind of wait it out and see what happens. When you see that mold, they're gone. So that would be my tip. When you think one's dead, put it aside, keep the moisture levels up in case it has to drink, in case it's a dehydration issue, keep an eye on it. If you smell something funny, probably dead. If you see that mold, probably dead. I will obviously keep people updated on the P. Langaboucheri because I don't personally, I'm fascinated by it. it. doesn't cease to be fascinating for me. When we mentioned the first thing I did is turn to Billy. I'm like, well, we got the start of a podcast topic here because I have to talk about this. And I want to hear if other people have experienced the same thing, because I think that would be really valuable information going forward is if other people have had similar situations, what happened? What what was the spider doing? Was it molting? Was it pre-molt? Had it just molted? How did it come back? What did you do for it? What did you say? Feel free to share some of that stuff because it could help other people. Because I do think sometimes we jump the gun with tarantulas when it comes to thinking they're dead. Uh, it scares me when I've, I've had people before where I've emailed back like, don't throw the spider away yet. Give it a shot. And it always worries me because you're never quite sure. So in this case, she's doing great. He's doing great. I'm hoping it's a she. I mean, obviously I gambled and only bought one of them, which was dumb because I really want a female. And that obviously reduces my chances of getting a female. But I, you know, to have her alive and doing well and lively is fantastic. But I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Still scratch. I've been doing this a while now. I've been writing about it, talking about it, videos for a while now. This is the first I've ever seen of anything like this. So please chime in if you've had a similar situation. How do you know when they're dead? What do you do? I mean, that's my my two things are gross, but I, I figure it's the most surefire way. But maybe somebody else out there has something as well. Now for our second topic of the day, this one came via email from Scott. I'm not going to use Scott's last name because I did not get permission to use it, but I think it's an excellent question and one that actually had me thinking for a bit and something I have given thought to, but a fleeting thought because once again, it involves death and it involves my death and I really don't want to think about that, but it's a really good point and something that people need to consider and I think a lot of us don't want to consider. So I'm just going to go ahead and read this, the parts of this email that are pertinent to this question. Scott writes, I'm 43 and got into the hobby two years ago. I have six or seven long living species and with a couple mature males bought as sub-adults now matured out, I'm looking to add more to my collection. I was wondering how you balance your purchase decisions with your age. After all, these guys can easily outlive us in some cases. My three-year-old daughter has a fascination with them, but when she's 10, 15, 25, who knows? And my wife, while very supportive, likes them from an aesthetic perspective only. Do you have a plan in place in case your lottery number is drawn, or do you just say the hell with it YOLO and keep those guys and leave it to the fam to rehome multiple tarantulas? 
Not judging, of course, but I'm very new and super excited to experience more of these furry guys. I'd love to hear your opinion on something like this. After all, we hear about how young is too young, but is there an age where you step back and say, slow down? Excellent, excellent question. As you can see now, you can probably figure out why it's not one most people want to think about because most people don't spend a lot of time going, hey, what am I going to do when I die? Where are these animals going to go? But it's an excellent question because unfortunately, life being the way it is, you're never quite sure, as Scott eloquently puts it, when your lottery number is drawn. I'm hoping my lottery number isn't drawn for a good many years. However, anybody that's listened to my podcast and to my videos over the years knows I like to joke that when I get a long-lived species, that it will likely, I will have to leave it to my grandkids. Now, I only have one so far, and he's only one, so I don't think he's showing a lot of interest in the tarantulas, but who knows where it goes from there. That could be something that he and I do when he gets a little bit older and can come up here and kind of appreciate what we got. But I do think it's something a lot of us don't think about. And I have thought about it. There have been times where I've said, you know what, if something, God forbid, something were to happen to me tomorrow, where are these spiders going to go? What is my family going to do? Sure, Billy is very familiar with them from shooting the videos. She's heard me talk about them. But there's a difference between being familiar with some species and inheriting a collection of 250 animals. Totally different ballgame. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that although Billy has been the literally the most supportive wife on the planet when it comes to the spider stuff, I'm going to go out on a limb and say she pro she's probably not going to want to inherit all these spiders and take care of them and keep them. So where do they go? And a while back, we did do a podcast on preparing for an emergency, preparing for a situation in which you are unable to take care of your tarantulas and somebody's going to have to bail you out for a week, a month, maybe longer. What do you do in those situations? And we did talk about some things to make sure that you were prepared in the event that that should happen. And I think to start answering this question, we need to revisit just a bit of that topic and something that some of us are, some of us are great at this. Some of us are a little more guilty of it. Making sure our collections are all properly labeled is a big one. I'm going to tell you right now, the majority, I would say 98% of my tarantulas are labeled with the scientific name. So if anybody needed to look something up, like God forbid Billy needed to jump up and figure out care for some of these guys, she and my kids could easily jump down. Google the names, and most likely one of my videos is going to pop up, one of my articles. So she should be covered. But I do have a couple I'm looking around now. And I have a couple enclosures that the spider is not labeled. And that could be a problem right off the bat. The person, if you have somebody that knows where to find this information, that's going to be difficult enough for them to go through and try to look up each individual specimen and find out what the care guidelines are for it. If you have somebody that's not into tarantulas at all, that isn't paying, you know, if you have family members that aren't as into the hobby, that would be an absolute nightmare for them. So I do think first and foremost, it's important everything's labeled because who, whoever is going to be dealing with your collection, if you should pass, you're going to at least give them a collection that is properly labeled so they can make correct decisions, so they can look up the information. Obviously, it would be a terribly difficult task for anybody to inherit a larger collection, but even people with smaller collections to know, all right, he has these 12 spiders. They are all neatly labeled. I know which species they are. I can advertise them if I need to sell them. I can get in touch with somebody and say, this is what we have. And I have had people get in touch with me before that are doing, for lack of a better term, an estate sale where they've inherited a bunch of spiders because somebody passed away and they're trying to 
get them to a good home and they have a good running list of them. So make sure everything right off the bat, just make sure everything's labeled. And I believe we also talked about having instructions left behind in the event something should happen. Just basic instructions like, hey, these ones need to have water added once a week. These guys are old worlds. Keep your fingers out of the way. These guys are new worlds. Uh, this is what I normally feed them. This is how often you need to feed them. Like a lot of them, you could really take some of the heat off by telling the person, hey, you, you can feed them once a month in most cases. Drop in a good size, you know, size prey at them. Feed them once a month. Just some basic information for anybody that may find themselves in a spot where they have to take care of your your animals. And I think with the vast majority of people, I'm thinking of doing this in terms of what I got right now. It would take me weeks to put something together. It would be a volume because of the amount of animals that I currently have. However, I think with the average hobbyist with, I would say, 12 to 30 animals, that's an easily accomplished endeavor, something you could bang out in a weekend where you just go, all right, here are the animals, here are some notes on each of them. That, that might be the way to do it. Go through, here's a list of the animals, and you write notes. I feed them this much, they need to be kept moist, make sure the water dish is full. This one's a little bit you know, crazy, make sure you be careful when you take the top of stuff like that. So that's something you can do right off the bat to ensure that in the case of a short-term emergency, you know, hospitalization, you're ill, you're not able to take care of them for a bit, people know what to do with them. And in the case of a long-term emergency, as in you are no longer walking planet Earth, they also have something to start with. Now, I have to admit, Scott, I have given thought to this because I am buying, you know, to date, I still have some small Afonapelma species. I have some small Brachypelma, Gramistola species. And as you've mentioned, I'm getting up there. I'm on the wrong side of 40. We're on the, we're on the, the downhill section of life now. So yes, I have given thought to that because I know some of these spiders will likely, it's it's no joke, will likely outlive me. We There are species out there that have gone 40 years. I don't think that's inconceivable. So in that case, you know, do the math. There's, there's a good chance that they will outlive me. And I have given thought to like, who would take these over? Because let's call it as it is. I enjoy doing this. I enjoy caring for all these animals. I enjoy making the videos, the podcast, writing the articles, all of that stuff. I don't know if my anybody in my family right now has shown that inclination. I can say I have four kids. My oldest moved out, obviously has a kid of his own, thinks they're cool. He's not going to have time for that. He's not going to be able to do that. My 19-year-old, again, every once in a while, he'll pop up here, but I don't think he's been up here in like a month. So he's not going to take over it. My daughter, I don't think she's ever been up here, like not really interested in it. And my 11-year-old, who's probably the closest thing that I've got to somebody that may eventually, you know, he always wanted to be a YouTuber. He loves, he does find these animals fascinating. Again, hasn't been up here in a while. So I'm not getting a lot of interest from my kids. Billy, God forbid something happened to me. I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's going to have more important things to worry about than taking care of an unwieldy tarantula collection, not to mention, you know, the emotional aspect of it. So what happens to them? So I think this is where you do need to do a little bit of planning. You can't just, you know, do we YOLO it? Yeah, I think we do sometimes. I, I don't always, when I go and buy a new species of tarantula, sit there and think, you know what, maybe I shouldn't buy this because I could be dead. I, I think that's a tough thing for anybody to do. However, does that mean we shouldn't plan after the fact or, you know, after we pick up that spider, go, wait a minute, in the case something should happen to me, what should I do? No, absolutely not. You should definitely plan. So I think one thing that needs to be made very clear is that a lot of folks put a lot of monetary value on your collections and they recognize that certain species, especially if you have, you know, desirable females can fetch hundreds of dollars. 
I think in a situation where the keeper has died and left a collection to a loved one to deal with, we shouldn't be, realistically, you shouldn't be or we shouldn't be concerned with recouping the money we spent on them. I think that needs to be made very clear because unfortunately the situations I could see getting bad or where somebody passes and a husband or wife are like, I know they spent tens of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars on these. We got to get that money back. You're probably not going to see that money. I just had a buddy of mine that got out of the hobby that spent months trying to sell his collection. He had some amazingly desirable species of tarantulas and could could barely give them away. As a matter of fact, I think at the end he was almost giving them away. It was really sad and kind of an eye opener as into into the fact that they're not as easy to move as we like to think. So obviously, I would say from my personal end of things, I have a different situation because I am public. I have the YouTube channel. I have the podcast. People know who I am in the hobby. So if my wife were to get in a situation where she'd have to do something with these tarantulas, first and foremost, we're friends with Tanya at Fear Not Tarantulas. She obviously knows her spiders and knows her stuff. So Billy would have a resource to go to immediately. And I'm sure that would be a big help for her. I'm sure Tanya would love to help out. I mean, hopefully if Tanya's listening to this, she's not like, what? But I think that's a situation where I, Billy would know who to reach out to, to get help getting, you know, either moving the collection or getting it out to places or other people. Obviously being public, if she put a call out a video, I mean, as, as sad as it would seem, this is a really morbid topic, but all she'd have to do is a video. Hey, we've got Tom's collection here. Here's what we got. I need to get rid of them. I'm sure she could make money off them, but I'm sure also that if she needed to get rid of them in a hurry, a lot of people would love to take some of these specimens. So in that instance, I think, Scott, it's a little easier for me to come up with where my collection is going to go. There are Billy has resources. She has an outlet either through people that we work with, either through just putting stuff out on the website, through the podcast, through Tom's Big Spiders, the YouTube page. People would line up to take these. I know we've met a lot, found out there's a lot of people in my state that could take them. We have other dealers in the state that would be interested in taking them. So Billy could probably, actually in that situation, probably could move some because sometimes when they sell tarantulas, when you try to sell them individually, you're not going to get the money that you should get for them. But a lot of folks, what they will do is be like, all right, make me an offer for the collection or make me an offer for these guys and you can make some money that way. I don't think money in this situ- situation should be a priority. I think the priority should be to get these animals into people's hands that will care for them and out of people's hands that are going to be burdened with, I mean, call it as it is. We love our collections, but for somebody who's mourning over the death of a loved one, whether it be their father or their husband, their wife, whoever had the collection, this is another burden, another thing they have to deal with. And that's a big burden for folks who aren't into the hobby. So how could that, so as I'm thinking of this question, think about what I would do and what Billy could do to easily probably move my collection rather quickly or get help with the collection until she could move it. I think she's got outlets. What does this look like for somebody that isn't doing podcasts and videos? Well, I think recognizing right off the bat that you might not get the money that you want for it is important. I also think that recognizing that your best spot to get rid of these guys would be to connect with dealers, to connect with other keepers, and to kind of put it out there like, I'm in a spot, we need to get rid of these, what can we do, make an offer or whatever. I think that would be the trick of it. 
I think that anyone that's been in the hobby a little while has seen folks post like, I have to get rid of my old collection in a hurry. I have, you know, circumstances have changed at home or we, I have an illness, like unfortunate circumstances where people have to get rid of collections quickly. And usually if they put them on a forum on, well, it used to be back in the day, you could put them on Facebook. I don't know if you could post this or if this would violate their rules now with animals. You might not be able to post up there, but forums are definitely a place, Reddit, uh, places where people are publicly talking about tarantulas, we can do that. If you put something up and said, hey, I have a collection, we're in a spot, you're going to get keepers to respond. As long as you're not doing, hey, I'm in a spot, we have a bunch of tarantulas, um, we're selling them starting at $500 a female, whatever. That's where you tend to run into problems where people try to recoup the money. And again, I hate to keep bringing up the money aspect of it, but I have talked to people before who have gotten into spots because they've had to get rid of their collection. They had in their mind a dollar amount that each of those animals was worth and they stuck to the dollar amount. And next thing you know, it, their deadline to move is looming. They haven't gotten rid of anything. I just have to keep mentioning that the money aspect has to be put to the side. Should you be able to get some money for them? Absolutely. But you're not going to be getting top dollar. So I think definitely reaching out to one of those groups, arachnoboards, tarantula forums, tarantula talk, any of those forums where there's a lot of hobbyists there that are communicating with each other that would, A, a lot of them would love to help out because I, I have seen situations where people have had to get rid of collections. People have done pretty well with the money. People, you know, it's it's a spider they want to get and they're helping a fellow hobbyist out. So I shouldn't be so dark on the money aspect of it. But if you post something up there, you should get a lot of people chiming in now where it would get tricky is obviously if you're sending spiders out packing and shipping spiders is something that takes a little bit of practice and i can imagine you know somebody that has no experience in spiders whatsoever having a difficult time with that but who knows if you can't find a local hobbyist willing to help out with some of that stuff that might be able to do the packing for you maybe you just pay them in a couple spiders who knows but there are i, I do believe the community is such that if a situation like this happens and a relative were to come on to one of these groups or all the groups and say, hey, listen, I just lost my beloved father, my wife, my husband. He had a sizable collection. We have a list of the species that are available. We unfortunately are not able to care for them on the long term. Could you help us out? You are going to get a lot of people that are going to respond. The other thing you could do if there are a lot of females or a lot of adults contact some of the dealers out there. I know for a fact there are dealers that will buy whole collections. They, they get contacted. Hey, I have this whole collection here. We don't know what to do with it. Would you be interested? And that's where they can get some good breeding stock, which works great because now you've got you know more spiders to breed and bring more captive bred slings into the hobby. Will you get top dollar? Again, no, but a lot of times people will get a decent amount of money. And the most important thing is they get that collection to somebody who knows how to care for it, that in some cases will use it to create more spiders for more of us to enjoy. So contacting dealers is another aspect. But again, you would want to kind of have this information in your little book of doom for if something happens to you. So that might be something that I need. Well, Billy knows who to contact, but for anybody else, Adding that, like in the case of something happening to me, here are some places you could even write a description of what you have available for this person so they could post it up. You could write the whole thing almost like a little will. Unfortunately, I passed away. Here are the spiders I have in my collection, you know, males, females, whatever you know, slings. And that would be something that this person could then go and post on these groups and have it all taken care of. Talk about making it easy for them. They just sign into the groups 
post this stuff up, and then hopefully folks will contact them. So I think a prudent thing to do for any keeper with a decent, any size collection, honestly, even two or three spiders, if if your children and your mates aren't into the spiders, that's going to be a burden for them after the fact. So put together that binder of the species you have, the care, make sure they're properly labeled, and then put together a little resource page should they have to move this collection, should they have to get rid of the collection. Include some local dealers in their contact information or even non-local dealers. Just get a list out there. Go put some of the people together, some of the names together of folks that sell these things because it could be an avenue. Put together the groups you belong to. If you're on a Facebook group, if you're part of arachnoboards, any of the forums, tarantula talk, tarantula forums, Put your contact information there. Put a link to the place so they can just click on it with your contact information. So again, they can go chime in on your behalf, post that thing up, and hopefully get some people to take the tarantulas off their hands. I think that's, in the very least, the least we can do to make sure that they not only lose a loved one, but then are burdened with taking responsibility for a large tarantula or even a smaller tarantula collection, animals that they're not interested in that they shouldn't have to now have to try to care for for a extended period of time. So that would be my thought process on that. Feel free if folks have something else that they've done. I, I think a lot of us need to get, and I will say, if I'm being completely honest, since doing the podcast of what to do if something should happen to me, I have not done a lot of improvements in that respect. Uh, that'll be something now that I've done this podcast and that other podcast that I will put together my, we'll call it our book of doom, just in case something happens, all the information somebody would need with those contacts. I think that would be really important. Now, Scott, another question you have, and this is a trickier one, I think, is, you know, you brought it up. When's it time to stop? When's it time to go? I'm too old to be picking these things up. And that's a tough one. I think that if you have a contingency plan in place for what's going to happen to your spiders when you die, if your loved ones, and I think the other aspect of this is the loved ones need to be clued in on it. Just putting this stuff together is one thing. Being able to talk with your wife, your children, if they're older, or even your teenage kids, like I could talk to my kids. All right, here's what would happen. What would you guys do? I know my kids would all come in to take care of them. They would. Everybody would come together, and my spiders would be taken care of until something decision could be made. But it's important that you talk with them as well because that's something that's going to impact them. So just putting together your book of doom, having it there in case of my death or in case of me becoming ill, here's what you do. Being able to sit down with them, explain how it works, show them how it works, even if it's a friend that's going to take on. Maybe you have a friend or another hobbyist that would be responsible for it. Sitting down with that person and showing them this information and laying it out for them so that they're comfortable with it, that they recognize what they have to do, that they've signed on to do this for you, that they've had, you know, it's not something that's just going to be thrust on them. Hey, by the way, Tom died and he said, give this to you and you know what to do with it. They need to be aware of it. So it is something you need to discuss with friends and family, as much icky as it may be. Here's the situation. If something should happen to me, this is what you need to be aware of and that they feel comfortable in knowing that that's not going to be as big as of a burden as it could have been if you didn't plan for it. So If you are the type of person that actually does put together your little book of doom and you have information for the people that will be inheriting these animals and they are okay with it, then I would say continue enjoying the hobby as long as you need to. I mean, will I be picking up Fauna Pelma slings if I make it to my 70s or 80s or Brachy Pelma slings? I don't know. Probably not because there's a good chance 
I'm not going to be able to see them grow up and I will know that unless somehow I get bit by a vampire and I'm living eternally. It's not going to happen. They're, they're not going to, I'm not going to see them grow to adulthood. So in that case, it would be me taking on something that's eventually going to be somebody else's burden. But then again, if I tell my family I'm buying these, are you guys okay with this? Grandpa's buying more spiders. Maybe I got the grandkids that are into it. Who knows? I think that's where the discussion has to happen. I will say on a personal note, as far as this is concerned, there was a few years ago where I did realize I'm starting to get up there and I wanted to keep more of the Brachypelma species, the Fonapelma species, and I ended up buying a bunch of each so that I could hopefully see them grow up. My goal is to keep as many species of spiders as I can and write about them, make videos about them, make podcasts about them for the care. And I did know that my time was running out as far as being able to cover those species, especially through adulthood. So I did make the conscious decision to buy them earlier. I haven't bought a lot lately. I still feel like I'm in that age group where I, I'm hoping I have another 20 years or so in me. So I'd still buy some more. But will there be a point where I sit back and go, you know what, enough is enough, time to ease off? Yes, I do think that there will come a point if I ever find that my health is starting to go, they become difficult to take care of, then it'll be time to downsize and it'll be time to go, all right, you know what, we had a good run, this is fun, I'm going to keep some of my favorites, but I'm going to have to downsize and keep the collection more manageable. I'm sure that time will come. I think any reasonable keeper needs to at some point make that decision, especially if your health is failing, you're not able to do. I've spoken to people, sadly, and it's sad to hear, but keepers that are getting up there and they're finding that through you know different health issues, ailments, that they're not able to give the spiders the attention they need. They're not able to work with the faster spiders. I've talked to people that have started getting rid of their old worlds or their faster spiders because they just didn't feel like they had the reaction times for it anymore. Other folks have had decreases in mobility, and that's impacted their ability to be able to work with the spiders they used to. So there's a lot of different things that come up. Unfortunately, we age, we get older. And when you're dealing with an animal that can live as long as some of these tarantulas can live, then yeah, it's your responsibility to think about and figure out what's going to happen when you're not able to care for them anymore, whether it be because of health or whether it be because you went to the big tarantula farm in the sky, there's going to be a point where you can't do it anymore. So yeah, I do think we need to be cognizant of it. I do think there needs to be a game plan in place for those of us who get these amass these larger collections, even smaller collections. I, I'm, I keep saying larger ones, any type of collection could be a burden to a loved one. I think it's our responsibility to make sure we talk to those closest to us, wives, kids, for really, you know, the older folks that have older grandkids, grandkids, friends, hobbyists, make sure there's some type of plan in place. Because again, it's going to be hard enough, hopefully, unless you're a terrible human being that nobody in your family likes, which I'd like to think nobody is. It's, it's going to be hard enough for them dealing with your loss than and to have to deal with your tarantula collection on top of it. So, Scott, hopefully that covers it. Yes, I would say continue. We're still young, man. 40s is the new 20 as far as I'm concerned. So continue to buy some of these ones. But I do think, yes, there will be a point where Scott and I do hit that age group, but we got to be a little more responsible. You know, I will say I've already segued into keeping a lot of true spiders. Now, what comes with that is obviously they're a lot faster than the tarantulas. And as I get older, I'm assuming my ability to move around quickly, to react quickly is going to actually diminish as well. So we'll see how it goes. But keeping shorter lived ones might be the way to go. But if you're going to be, you know, it is one of those things. A lot of people discover this hobby late. I've spoken to a lot of people who have retired their retired age 60s. I spoke to somebody recently with 70s, just started buying them. 
there's a lot of joy to be had keeping with these. And I think everybody should be able to experience that joy, should be able to keep the species they want to keep. It's just important you make sure you think about the fact that unfortunately we only go on for so long and think about the folks that are going to be left taking care of them when you pass. So I do think, you know, keep them as long as you want, as long as you have that contingency plan and you have those people that are on board with it. So I tried to keep that as upbeat as possible considering both of these kind of can, took death into play, death of a spider, death of a keeper. But I do think there are things that we need to think about. I think Scott brought up an amazing point about recognizing the fact that as much as we joke about it, there are species that live a very, very long time and where do they go after we die? And then as far as the spiders, knowing when they're dead, hopefully we'll save some lives with this one because I'm going to go out on a limb and say... There are situations out there where people have a spider, they think it's dead, they do whatever they do with their dead tarantulas, bury it, flush it down the toilet. Uh, some dealers, because there's, unfortunately they get situations where people show them a dead, what's supposed to be a dead spider and it's not dead and they try to cheat them out of the money and they say, hey, I want this replaced, we'll have you put a pin through the abdomen. This is actually a fairly common practice. The thought process behind that is if your spider is actually alive, you are not going to put the pin through the abdomen because now you've just killed your spider, you've gained nothing if you're trying to scam. So I do get the thought process behind that. It's a way to make sure people aren't scamming them. However, it always scares me because if there's a situation where the spider was in transit and was just dehydrated or maybe not be dead or may revive, you've just killed your spider. So that could be a tricky one. So you want to make sure that your spider is actually dead before you do that. And one way to do it is to kind of sit there, let it wait, see if it starts to smell, see if that mold comes up. All right, so we tried to keep it on a high note. That's gross, but hey, that's that's all I can think of as far as that's what I do and it's worked for me so far. And luckily it did work for this Salmopias Langebusheri because I'm looking over at her now. She's climbing up the side of the cage. I got to rehouse her again into a new arboreal enclosure. The one she's in now is more terrestrial. But there's a situation where my habit of keeping those spiders around, even when I'm, you know, in that case, I honestly, I was 100% sure she was dead, worked out for me and the spider. So that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com. You can find me on YouTube. I just posted a video of my C. Cyanius or Cyanius, the Cuban orange violet dwarf, I think it is. I, I, the name for it, the nickname is terrible. But I post up that. I know a lot of people have been picking these up and people have been asking me for updates. Just did an update up. She's looking beautiful. New enclosure. Really pleased with that one. And love the spider. Really cool one. That'll do it for this one, guys. Stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.